Well, thank you for, for welcoming me and inviting me. It's great to be here. I thought I was going to speak on one thing to you tonight, and then God popped something into my heart this morning during worship at Mosaic. So I'm going to go with that and just believe that that is what God wants you to hear tonight. And what I want you to do this evening is I want to take you on a journey, a journey in time, a journey of about 2,000 years, and a journey all the way across Europe and the Mediterranean to a village in the region near the Sea of Galilee. Now, there's a man at the centre of this story this evening, and we aren't given his name, but I like to give people names, so I'm going to call him Jacob. And it's early morning, and the first rays of sunlight are beginning to spread across the Judean countryside. Jacob lies in his bed, listening to the sounds of the morning. And other sounds that are associated with the morning. But the night had been a long and restless night for Jacob. Just the same as every other night had been since he became paralysed. Now we don't know how he came to be paralysed. I, I imagine that perhaps he was a construction worker and he'd been working on some of the construction work that was taking place in that area because the Romans did a lot of building work and they, they would recruit people to come and build these buildings. And, and maybe, maybe he had an accident and, and fell off a building or fell off a ladder or scaffolding and injured himself and became paralysed. But whatever the reason for his paralysis, the fact was that for these last years he'd been completely helpless, utterly dependent upon his family and his friends. And every day a group of them would come and they would help him get up, they'd get him washed and dressed. They would feed him and then they'd carry him to the market square so that he could beg money from people as they passed by. And he was embarrassed to be so dependent upon others, but he was grateful for their kindness and faithfulness in looking after him. They said that if it had been them, he would have done the same thing for them, and that was true. And as he lay there waiting that morning for his friends to come for the, re the, 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 the regular routine of every day, he relished that last few minutes of silence. Because soon they would be there, and there'd be bustle and banter, and their friends would be teasing and jollying him along. And although that was tiring, he, he actually needed it because he was prone to depression. He was prone to suicidal thoughts. He would think, surely everyone would be much better off without me. His life lacked purpose and meaning. He had no dignity left. He was unable to provide for his family. He was a drain on his friends' resources. They never complained, but he knew that they sacrificed time and money to look after him. They knew there was a cost on his friends' wives and his friends' families as they looked after him. And he began to steel himself for the mind-numbingly boring day ahead when he heard animated voices outside. He recognised it was his friends, but what could they possibly be so excited about? Panting and out of breath, they spilled into the room, almost tumbling over each other. And in their excitement, they all started to speak at once. He could only make out a few words. He heard the name Jesus. He heard the mention of the next village. And he said, slow down. Can one of you explain what's going on slowly so I can get my head around what you're saying? So the oldest friend motioned to the others to be quiet and began to explain. He said, there's this man called Jesus. 
He's a teacher or a prophet. I don't really quite know what he is because he's more than a prophet or a teacher. And he's been going around the countryside teaching people about God. Teaching in a way that's so different to all the other rabbis. More than that, he performs miracles. Blind men can see. Lepers are made clean. Demon eyes are set free. Anyway, we've heard he's staying in the next village. We've come to take you to him so that you too can be healed. Jacob listened. He shook his head in disbelief. Could this really be true? Was it possible that there was such a man and one who performed such wonders? Even if it were true, would he even be interested in healing me? But before he could answer his friends and agree or not, they'd slipped the poles down the sides of his bed mat and already he was on their shoulders. He thought about protesting, but decided against it. Who, after all, what had he to lose? If the reports were right, he would be healed. If his friends were just talking nonsense, well, at least he'd have a day out in different surroundings. And as quickly as his friends could trudge along the dusty road, carrying Jacob aloft, until they reached the village where Jesus was. There's no mistaking that Jesus was there. The vast crowds gave witness to that. People had come from all the neighbouring villages, so it was impossible to see Jesus and get close to him. The friends asked a few at the edge of the crowd where Jesus was and were told that he was in the house at the front of the crowd, talking with some Pharisees and teachers of the law. The people nearest the door were relaying what was said to the people outside. The friends looked for a way through, but it was impossible. There was no way they would be able to get in to see Jesus. The youngest ran round the crowd to see if there was another way in through the back of the house, but there wasn't. But he did discover that there was a way to get to the stairs that led to the roof, and that too was clear. He quickly went back to his friends and explained his plan to them. Jacob was amazed. Whether he saw Jesus or not, whether he was healed or not, this was going to be the strangest day of his life. Soon, the friends were on the roof. Well, they started removing tiles. Gradually, a hole appeared in the roof. A few of the people inside looked up to see where the dust was coming from. Jesus, however, just ignored it and kept on teaching those in the room. Slowly the hole grew larger and larger until it was just big enough for them to load Jacob through. Jesus stopped speaking and watched as Jacob was lowered in front of his feet. Everyone was shocked at what they'd just seen and wondered what Jesus was going to do or to say. Would he rebuke these men for their destructive behaviour? Jesus spoke, and what he said drew gasps from everyone inside. Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were apoplectic. They looked at each other, and without saying a word, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus looked at Jacob and smiled. He looked at the Pharisees and the teachers with gentleness in his eyes and said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, 
your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And turning to Jacob again, he said, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. Without a moment's hesitation, Jacob stood up for the first time in years. He felt his legs, which had become so wasted and twisted. Now they were strong and straight. He stretched and reached up his arms, and his back, which had been locked frozen, began to flex and move smoothly again. He knelt down, rolled up his mat around the poles. He picked it up and walked towards the door. The people in the room moved aside, amazed at what Jesus had said, and done. And as he came out into the Galilean sunshine, the crowd too parted to allow him to walk through. People in the crowd pointed and asked, is that the man? Others nodded, confirming that Jacob indeed was the paralyzed man that Jesus had just healed. Jacob and his friends embraced and shouted, glory to God, praises to his name. The journey back to their home village was quicker than the walk earlier that day, but it was just as breathless. This time they were breathless from singing psalm after psalm they sang until they reached the village. And as the neighbours saw Jacob walking unaided, strong and upright, they came over and asked about what had happened. Jacob and his friends lost count of the number of times they told the story, carefully repeating everything Jesus said. And whenever someone heard Jesus' words, friend, your sins are forgiven, they were surprised and shocked. But when they heard how Jesus had then healed the man and saw the evidence before them, they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, if you want to read that story for yourself, you'll find it in Luke chapter 5. But what can we learn from that account? What's its relevance to us? Firstly, I think it's to give us hope for those who are paralysed. I wonder whether you identify with Jacob this evening. Perhaps you're not physically paralysed, because paralysis can affect us in so many other ways as well. Perhaps you're paralysed by fear, or by worry, or by anxiety. Each of those emotions can have a crippling effect on our ability to operate normally as human beings. Over the years, you become skilled, perhaps, at hiding it to others. Maybe the person sitting next to you has no idea how fear and anxiety are crippling you. Perhaps it's the fear of becoming ill. You look at people who've got cancer or some other life-threatening illness, and you're terrified you'll be next. This fear robs you of your ability to enjoy the good things you presently have. Perhaps it's fear of death itself. You've heard the Christian hope of eternity in paradise with Christ, but you feel no certainty about it. You have no assurance that this promise is for you. And as a result, you feel robbed of joy, and the Christian walk has become one of fearfully trying to live up to an unattainable standard of perfection. Perhaps it's fear in your relationships. Perhaps you fear losing your husband or your wife. You worry that they may get involved in an affair. 
Maybe you fear and worry that you would never get married and be condemned to a life of singleness. Maybe you fear for the future of your children. Will they do okay at school? Will they get good jobs? Will they get married? Will they be able to buy a house? Will they stay in good relationship with you? And so on. Worry and anxiety about these things is robbing you of the freedom to enjoy the current season of your life with them. All these things and many more cause us to walk through life with an emotional limp or a spiritual paralysis. And there will be some today for the, whom these aren't just fears but realities. People like Jacob in the story who have a physical ailment, an illness. Your capacity for living has been restricted in some ways. The good news is that Jesus offers hope for those who are infirm in body, mind and spirit. This is what Jesus said in the previous chapter at the start of his ministry. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus is as interested today as he was 2,000 years ago in setting people free. His power to heal is just as effective now as it was then. The only difference is now he uses his followers, people like you and me, to complete his mission. So this account, like so many of the healing accounts in the Gospels, are, are a brilliant encouragement and inspiration to us. They, they build faith to expect that Jesus will heal through us today. But did you notice something else going on in this account? Something that Luke and Jesus want us to understand is actually more important. Something that is more wonderful and more significant than healing. However wonderful that is. It's these five words. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you've been rocking around in church for a few years, hearing about forgiveness of sins doesn't perhaps shock us and startle us in perhaps the way it should. Just think about what it means for Jesus to say, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they certainly saw it as shocking. They thought Jesus was blaspheming because the only person who could forgive sins is God. So just imagine for a moment to try and help us grasp this. Imagine you parked your car this evening in the car park out the front, okay? And it's quite tight in there, isn't it? I parked in there a few times. It's quite tight in there. And someone else comes in and parks next to you and is a bit careless and damages your car. And, and they came to see me before the meeting and said, Dave, I'm really embarrassed, but I've, I've scratched um, so-and-so's car. And I turned to say, I forgive you. You now go out at the end of the meeting and find your car's been damaged by this person. 
And you come and speak to me and say, um, do you never guess what's happened? That person's damaged my car. And I say, don't worry about it. I've forgiven them. <laughs> and you say, what? You've forgiven them? You can't forgive them. I could forgive them, but you can't forgive them. We can't forgive on behalf of someone else. Only the person who's been wronged can offer forgiveness. But it, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? Because it's not just simply about saying that someone's been forgiven. Actually, there's still a car that needs fixing. And if I really have forgiven that person on your behalf, the cost of repairing that car is no longer your cost, it's mine. Which is exactly what Jesus means, because when he says to this man, I forgive you, you're forgiven, although the transaction hasn't yet taken place, he's doing it on the basis that in two and a half years' time, he's going to be hanging on a cross, taking the penalty, paying the price for that man's sins, and everybody else that was in the room that day, and everybody who's in this room today. In fact, for every human being on the planet, should they choose to accept it, Jesus has said, I will pay the price and bear the cost of your sin, and because of that, you can be forgiven. And I think this cost of forgiveness is, this is a bit of an aside, but I think this cost of forgiveness is one of the reasons why we find it so hard to forgive people, is because what it means is that if I forgive someone who's wronged me, I'm going to bear the cost of what they've done myself, rather than demanding that they pay the cost. And that is costly, it's painful. That's why it's so hard to forgive. But because Jesus has forgiven us, because he's borne the cost, he can empower us to forgive others. Sin has a penalty. That penalty has to be paid. Forgiveness is not the absence of penalty. It's about who bears the penalty, who bears the cost. Jesus forgives us because he's paid the penalty and borne the cost. In, in 1 Peter it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And when Jesus declared Jacob to be forgiven... He did so, anticipating his death on the cross. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of the law didn't have the benefit of hindsight, so they needed a demonstration of Jesus' power, his ability to heal. So in this account, I think the key message is forgiveness, but in order for people to understand that Jesus had the power and authority to forgive sins, he heals the man. And he asked them, which is easier to do, to, to forgive sins or to heal? And I want to ask you a similar question this evening. Slightly different, but which is more important? To be forgiven or to be healed? If you had a choice this evening between being forgiven, having all your sins forgiven, or of being healed from a physical ailment, which would you choose? Forgiveness, great, because that's for eternity, isn't it? 
Forgiveness is for eternity. Our healing is always going to be temporal. There isn't a single person on this planet alive today walking around who was there when Jesus healed people 2,000 years ago. But a lot of those people are now in glory with him because they've received his forgiveness. So let's think how we might respond. Let's close our eyes. key question that needs to be answered tonight is when you come to stand before Jesus, when he comes back in glory, will you be someone who has received his forgiveness or not? He's not going to ask whether your sicknesses were healed. The key thing is have your sins been forgiven? And if your answer tonight is you don't know, if your answer is you're not sure. Or maybe it's, no, they haven't. Then I want to invite you. No, I, I want to urge you to do something about it now. I want to urge you to receive this free offer of forgiveness that Jesus makes to you. I'm going to say a prayer line by line. And if you want to know the forgiveness of Jesus, then repeat the word silently in your heart along with me. Jesus, I acknowledge today that you are God. I admit that I've done wrong against you. Please forgive me as you have promised. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. I crown you as king of my life and pledge my allegiance to you. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that Jesus has forgiven you. And that's not he may have forgiven you, or he might forgive you, or in 10 years' time he might forgive you. No, he has forgiven you. In 1 John, it says these words, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise that you can stand on. All your sins, past, present, and future sins are forgiven. And he purifies us. It's not simply that the slate's been wiped clean, but he's actually purified us from all unrighteousness. So nothing of what that unrighteousness would have done in lives can cling to us any longer. And so if you've prayed that prayer... I want to encourage you to talk to Gary afterwards or one of the other people on the leadership team here so they can just help you as you begin this life of walking in the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you. But I also believe that God wants to bring healing this evening as well. It, it, it's absolutely true that forgiveness is the main deal Okay, but God still loves to heal because God is a, a generous God. He, he lavishes his grace and his mercy upon us. And I believe there are some people here that God wants to, to bring healing to. This morning as I was sat in church I, 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 at Mosaic, I felt God gave me a picture. 
he reminded me when I was at school doing my chemistry lessons and we took a tiny, tiny little seed of copper sulfate crystal and put it on a thread and dropped it into a solution of copper sulfate. And uh, the technical term is that it was a saturated solution, which means that basically um, there's so much been dissolved in it, it couldn't really stably stay in solution. And if you leave it for several hours, what will happen is the molecules that are in suspension in, in the solution will start to uh, connect themselves to the crystal, which is the seed crystal on the piece of thread, and this crystal will start to grow. And you can grow a beautiful kind of diamond-shaped blue crystal in this saturated solution of copper sulfate and other salts as well you can do it with. And and I believe this evening there's someone here and for you, you feel like your faith is minuscule and totally ineffective. It's just like a tiny, tiny seed of a crystal. And um, you feel like you're, you're hanging on to your Christian faith by a thread. You've, you've got zero expectation of what God's going to do in your life. You've got no hope for the future and you're not even sure why you've come tonight. Um, you sort of wonder what's been going on and why you've been part of everything that's been happening here. And I feel God wants to say to you, it's okay not to be okay. You might feel you don't have any faith left for God to work in your life, but you're among friends who do. And the faith of the people in this room is like that saturated solution. And as the, uh, the copper sulfate molecules come out of the solution and, and build this bright blue crystal, faith from the people around you is going to rub off and start to grow faith in you again. Like the paralyzed man, you might feel you haven't got the strength to get yourself to Jesus, but there are people here who love you enough to carry you to Jesus. And it's interesting, I, I didn't read the passage from Scripture, I told you the story, but it's interesting that Jesus says it's the faith of the friends that caused him to say, your sins are forgiven, and to heal him. That there's no indication at all that the man himself was expressing any faith in Jesus whatsoever. And there are times in life when we don't have faith ourselves for whatever reason, but we need people around us, we need friends who will come alongside us, who will carry us, who will walk with us, who will, who will hold faith for us, who will hold hope for us until we can hold that hope again. And, and I believe if you're in that situation tonight and you've come here and you, you, you've been sitting here wondering why have you been here, well, the reason you're here is because God wants to say to you, reach out to some friends around you and tell them that's where you are. Say, look, I, I don't think I can carry on but would you come alongside me and stand with me and pray with me and support me? Would you carry hope for me? Would you have faith for me? And as you do that, I believe God is going to start to grow beautiful faith in you again so that you can stand in the struggles that you face. I also believe that this afternoon, as I was thinking about this message, that um, there's someone here who's um, I'm not sure if you've got a diagnosis of angina or if you're being investigated for angina, but um, you're, you're due to go for some more tests around this. Um, and God is, wants to say to you that when you go, those tests are going to come back all clear. I also felt God was saying that there's someone here tonight who struggles with insomnia and you can't remember the last time when you had a good night's sleep. 
And God wants to say to you tonight, he's going to give you the gift of sleep. He's, as you trust him, sleep is, is an exercise of trust, isn't it? Because when we go to sleep, we have to believe the world will carry on going without us. <laughs> and, and God wants to say to you tonight, when you, you can go to sleep, the world won't stop, and you can leave all your burdens and all your troubles with him and enjoy the peace that he gives. And God wants to give you a breakthrough tonight and fill your, your you know, with, with peace and pleasant dreams and, and your sleep like you haven't slept in months. And then as I kind of indicated um, earlier in my message, I, I think there are some people who have a fear of cancer and you have that fear because you've seen um, friends, family, people who are close to you suffering with cancer and, and, and dying from cancer. And so now you are filled with this fear that who's going to be the next person you care about and love that's going to die from cancer? Is it even going to be you? And I believe God wants to say to you, he's going to take that fear away from you. I, I think, and it's specifically, it's the fear he's going to take away from you. In, in Psalm 23, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So he's not, he's not saying he's necessarily going to take the cancer away from you, but he wants to take the fear of the cancer away from you so that you can walk in his peace and his calm and his security. So, how are we going to do this? We've well, got a ministry team, yeah? So, um, perhaps we could have some worship and the ministry team be available. And if you feel like you want to respond to any of these messages, where's the ministry team going to be? <laughs> Just going to be around here, okay? And I'll, I'll stick around as well, and I'm happy to pray for people if you'd like me to as well. Father, I want to thank you for your word in the Bible. I want to thank you for accounts like this of this man who was paralyzed. Thank you that he had friends who loved him enough to take him to Jesus, who were outrageous enough to tear an opening in the roof of the building in order to lower him at Jesus' feet. And despite how out of the ordinary that was, Jesus wasn't phased or shocked, but he spoke words of forgiveness into that man's life. Lord, thank you for speaking words of forgiveness into our lives. And I pray for every single one of us that we will go away this evening with a fresh sense of freedom because you've forgiven us. And Father, for those people who, um, like that paralysed man, are facing a paralysis or an illness of some kind, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come now and to bring into fruition those words I've spoken over those sicknesses. That, that the insomnia would go, that the angina would be found not to be there, that the fear of cancer would be swept away that the, the people who feel like they're only just about hanging on by a thread in their Christian walk would discover that as friends come alongside them, just like that paralysed man, they're given a fresh lease of life in their walk with you. For your glory's sake. Amen.